O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have established strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you should give attention to him? For you have made him a little lower than God, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. The Psalms are the songbook of the Bible, and they contain for us raw emotion. They contain the vulnerabilities and the feelings, the highs and the lows of the psalmist. I wish I could say that my emotional journey was always consistent, but it's not. I think about the joys in my life and how high some of those joys are and how wonderful they are. But then I consider my lows and my disappointments and my discouragements, and they're just as real as those high joys. Times of great joy and times of disappointment. You know what though? I've learned that God is never threatened by our raw and authentic responses to Him. It's not as though He's surprised. It's not as though you and I can say, well, I don't know if I should say that to God, as if we're maybe surmising that He doesn't know about it. But of course He does. He knows our feelings and our vulnerabilities more than we do. It's futile to try to keep our thoughts and our feelings hidden from God. Instead, God invites us to bring the overflow of our vulnerabilities and emotions, the highs and lows, the joys, the sorrows, bring all of it to Him. He welcomes our authentic responses to Him. So the book of Psalms, this songbook of the Bible, about midway through the scriptures, is divided into 150 chapters. There's psalms for every emotion. There are authentic responses to God. Here's some of the types or the categories of the psalms in the scriptures. Psalms of praise, lament, confidence, thanksgiving. In fact, all of these four are individual psalms and communal psalms. In other words, they're psalms expressed by an individual and they're psalms that are expressed by the entire community or congregation. In addition, there are messianic psalms, psalms of wisdom, imprecatory psalms, royal psalms, enthronement psalms. So many different types of emotions found in the psalms. So today, I'm beginning a brand new series on the psalms. It's called Songs from the Heart. And in this series, we'll explore the raw emotion and the authentic vulnerabilities, the joys, the sorrows that we bring before God. Each week, here's what we'll do. We'll pick a particular psalm out of a particular category, and we'll work our way through that. So we're beginning this series with a psalm of praise. It seemed like a great place to start, in my opinion. 
So reach for your Bible if you have one. You're going to need it as we follow along through the verse by verse going through the psalm that we're looking at today. As you do that, let me remind you that a psalm of praise involves the recognition of who God is. We're coming to God with our whole selves and we're praising Him. We're recognizing Him for who He is. Here's some examples. Psalm 103, verse 1. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Or Psalm 113, 3. From the rising of the sun to the going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. Or Psalm 145 and verse 3. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. So the psalm that we're looking at today is Psalm 8. It is a psalm of praise and thanksgiving to God. It's written by David. If you're following along in your Bible, you'll notice that many of the psalms have a superscription, like it's a little sentence or two before the psalm begins, describing a little bit of the setting or the context or the author of the psalm. The superscription for Psalm 8 reads, To the chief musician on the instrument of Gath, a psalm of David. So we know that David has written this. On an instrument of Gath, remember these are songs. The psalms are songs. We know that Gath was that place of the Philistines where David hid when he was being pursued by Saul. Was it there that he picked up an instrument of Gath? Was it there that he learned to play? We don't know and we don't know much about the instrument, but we know that David is referring to that as he begins to sing this song. Who's David? Well, we know him as the king of Israel, but a young shepherd boy. Second Samuel says it this way in 23 verse 1, David is described as the man raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist or singer of Israel. So Psalm 8 is a psalm about God's glory all around us. That's what it's about. It's set against the backdrop of the night. And David, as a young shepherd, would have spent many a night on the hillsides of Palestine. I imagine night after night after night, there tending his sheep, he would have the opportunity to look into the sky, to enjoy nature all around him. And it's with that backdrop that David now, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this psalm. So let's begin. Verse 1 of Psalm 8. David writes, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Notice David when he proclaims this psalm in this very first verse. He says, our Lord. So he's writing it. He's the author. But he includes other people. He acknowledges that God is not just his God, but God is the God of Israel. When you and I speak to God, we can acknowledge that God is not only our God, but he is the God of all those who have believed in Christ. The earth and the heavens, David says, how excellent is your name above all the earth who've set your glory above the heavens. Notice he's talking about the excellence of God's name. So before David's time, there was another shepherd tending his flock in Egypt. His name was Moses. One day Moses was out and he noticed a bush that was burning. It's a fantastic story in the Old Testament. And there Moses encountered God. And God said to Moses, Moses, I realize that my people are in bondage in Egypt and I want you to do something about it through my power. And uh, God said, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. 
notice Moses' question. He says, who, who's gonna, who am I going to tell, tell them? Who's, what's your name, God? And it was there God said, my name is I am, he says. That beautiful reference to God always being. Notice as David continues in Psalm 8 and verse 2. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have established strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. So David is suggesting in verse 1 that God's glory can be seen over all the earth. And now he moves to the other end of the spectrum. He's gone from the beauty and fantastic nature of God's glory around him right down to the simplicity of God getting glory through the mouth of babes and nursing infants. God enjoys using what seems to be insignificant. Have you noticed that? God is never afraid to use the ordinary. I love it when some of the Psalms are used in the New Testament, and this is one of those verses used in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 21. We know that when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that Jesus did and the children that were crying out to him in the temple, they were saying, Hosanna to the son of David. These religious leaders, chief priests and scribes, were indignant at Jesus. It was a common response that they had to Jesus. They just didn't like him. And Jesus said to them, do you hear, do you hear what they're saying? They're, they're telling Jesus. And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. See, God chooses to use what is insignificant in the lives of people. Notice 1 Corinthians says it this way. I love this, these couple of verses in chapter 1, verse 27. Instead, God chose the things of the world that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things that are despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one, no one can ever boast in the presence of of God. Isn't this what God did in sending Jesus? Came to earth as a baby? God's glory would be manifest instead through an infant coming to earth. Now you can almost see David gazing at the night sky when in verse 3 he says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, Again, having been on the hillsides of Palestine, he would have been familiar with the beauty of the sky in that area. And now David looks up and he is in awe of what he sees. The work of your fingers, he calls it. Almost effortless in that phrase. There's no mention of the sun. David is speaking in the context of the night and darkness. We're so used to light pollution in our day, it's hard to get away and truly find a sky that's void of light. But you can do it. I've done it before, maybe you have too. I've stood at the rim of the Grand Canyon and seen more stars than I could ever even comprehend. Or maybe even in a, a, a small mountain village, looking up and seeing, wow, this is amazing, on the plains of Alaska, or even in the outer banks of North Carolina. God's beauty and majesty in the sky is almost hard to comprehend. David was aware of the vastness of the heavenly creation. And now we are becoming aware, even more so, of the vastness of God's creation. So in studying the Bible, 
We can open a concordance. That's helpful. We can open a Bible dictionary or a commentary. We can open a Greek lexicon or a Hebrew lexicon. But none of us perhaps would have considered another Bible study tool, the Hubble telescope. Let's take a look deep, deep into the night as we discover the infinite glory of God being manifest in the heavenlies. This is the barred spiral galaxy, NGC 6217 they call it. The galaxy lies 6 million light years away in the north circumpolar constellation of Ursa Major. Now a light year is the distance light travels in a year, about 6 trillion miles if we can get our heads around that. How about this? This is Stefan's Quintet. It's galactic wreckage. A clash among members of a famous galaxy quintet reveals an assortment of stars across a wide color range from young blue stars to aging red stars. Or how about Omega Centauri? Colorful stars galore inside globular star clusters. The Hubble Space Telescope snapped this panoramic view of a colorful assortment of 100,000 stars residing in the crowded core of a giant star cluster. How about this beautiful butterfly? It's emerging from stellar demise in planetary nebula NGC 6302. This celestial object looks like a delicate butterfly but it is far from serene. What resemble dainty butterfly wings are actually roiling cauldrons of gas heated to more than 36,000 degrees Fahrenheit. The gas is tearing across space at more than 600,000 miles an hour, fast enough to travel from Earth to the moon in 24 minutes. A dying star that once was about five times the mass of the sun is at the center of this fury. The butterfly stretches for more than two light years. In other words, the heavens are spectacular and they testify to the glory of God. Now notice the transition from this spectacular celestial wonder to you and to me. Verse 4, David, noticing the splendor of creation, now says, What is man that you are mindful of him? and the Son of Man, that you should give attention to Him. It's like God is saying, God, you're so great, and you're so majestic. Who am I? David is overcome with the wonder and the splendor of God's creation, and, and that which points to His glory. But now, David instinctively turns to himself and says, Oh my goodness, who am I, God? I like the way David Benner puts it, when he says that, you know, we come to know God best not by looking at God exclusively, but here's how it works. We look at God and then instinctively we look at ourselves. And then we look back at God. And then we look back at ourselves. This is how we grow and change and both God and self are most fully known in the relationship to each other. And that's exactly what David did. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you should give attention to him? Verse 5, for you have made him a little lower than God, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Now, you may be reading from a translation because quite a few do translate this as angels or heavenly beings. The Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, uses the word angels. But as I've translated it, for you have made him a little lower than God. 
That's what it says. The Hebrew word is Elohim. That's God. That's troubling in some sense. But let me tell you what I believe God's getting at. God's glory is reflected in the heavens, but he's also glorified himself on earth through mankind. You're an image bearer, and I'm an image bearer of God. He's created us to bear his image. We are like him in certain ways. As God's image bearers, we reflect certain characteristics of God. For example, intellect and reason. We can choose. We can experience emotion. We are relational. We can exercise dominion. So David describes how God has entrusted us with dominion. Notice verses 6 through 8. You made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen and beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that swim the paths of the seas. Now, if this sounds familiar, it's meant to, because David, of course, is pointing to the creation account in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 reminds us, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. See, humans are not just another animal who've come about by random chance. Of course not. We are special in God's sight, created in His very image. Now David ends where he begins. The last verse of Psalm 8, verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. See, here's what David has done in this short psalm. He's essentially said, look up, look out, look in, and then look up again. In other words, look up, see the glory that represents the reality of God in the heavenlies. Look out, see the examples on the earth, even in children. Look in, instinctively look in and say, who am I that God would pay attention to me? And then instinctively look up again. Give God glory. Can I ask you, are you a person of praise? Does praise come instinctively to you or is it something that you have to work at? I'll confess there are times that I have to work at it. Just busy, the pace, the hectic, frantic life that we all seem to get sucked into. I've got to stop and I've got to focus and I've got to praise. I want to make a couple of suggestions here that how we might practice the praise of God. Here's the first one. We've seen it in this passage. Slow down and look around. Slow down and look around. Why? Because it's pointing to God. It's all pointing to God. Romans says it this way in chapter 1, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen in creation so that we are without excuse, he says. Here's another idea in praising God. Cultivate appropriate smallness. Cultivate appropriate smallness. Now, in a world that's filled with an obsession for fame and popularity, it's helpful to have an honest assessment of ourselves, isn't it? Find those opportunities to experience God's greatness and sit in your own smallness 
a little bit. And then finally, how about this? Live to magnify God. He has created you and me for himself. We are to live to magnify him. So what offering of praise would you give to God today? What would you say to him? What would you reflect back to him based on what we've seen in Psalm 8? The God that David praised all those years ago is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That same God is the God that you and I worship. And all around us are reminders of his greatness. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have established strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? and the Son of Man, that you should give attention to him. For you have made him a little lower than God, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and the beasts of the field, and the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent, is your name in all the earth.